Welcome to the Concord Online Podcast. Each week, we're going to be bringing you sermons from Concord to be a resource for you to live on mission with us to inspire people to follow Jesus. Grab your Bible. Let's go to Psalm 51. Psalm 51, we want to study God's Word. And listen, I was really um, just kind of at war with myself, I guess, and trying to discern from the Lord what He has for us. He, he is here this morning. And and he is moving in our midst. This is exactly what we've been praying for this week. It's just an unusual spirit of the Lord because the sermon today is not one of those easy sermons. Um, but let's make a commitment together as we begin. All right, let's make a commitment together that we will respond to the Lord today. We will respond to the Lord today with however his Holy Spirit convicts us. Amen. Like that's me, that's you, that's all of us. When we study this passage, it's there's going to be a moment where we kind of get a bloody lip probably because it's not an easy passage of Scripture. And many times when we come to difficult passages of Scripture, we just want to disengage from it and just survive, particularly the men. And so listen, guys, I, I want to ask you, men of God, lean in right here and, and let's hear from the Lord and learn to walk in his truth. Because I believe with all of my heart that when God does great things in a city, he does great things to the men of God in that city. And so we want to ask God to shape us today. You know, we're in a series of sermons called Audacious Prayers. And what we're discovering, what I hope and pray we're discovering is the ask per se, the ask of God, the audacious moment where we ask him something and we desire for him to do immeasurably more than we can ask or imagine. That ask is predicated upon all this stuff that's happened in our heart before we ever get there? Are we prepared? Are we ready? Has the Lord searched us? And are we walking in holiness before our Father? Like there's this idea that, that I can just go ahead and ask God no matter the condition of my heart, but, but what I hope you're beginning to see as we've studied these prayers that, that if we're gonna ask this great and mighty thing of God, what has happened before that ask is what's ultimately important. Do we understand it's because of what Christ has done that we can enter his presence? Do we recognize the responsibility that we all share in walking in Christ and walking through Christ to make our requests to God? Do we, do we see that it's not just an ability to ask, but it's a posture and a position of that ask that really moves the heart of God? So today I want to talk to you about something that we just don't talk a lot about in the church, and we should. And that is the expectation or the desire or the opportunity for us to live lives that are holy before the Lord. God's standard is holiness. God's standard has been holiness. God's standard will always be holiness. We understand this? Like, like God doesn't lower his standard of what he asks for his children when coming into his presence. And every single one of us have missed that mark. There's not a holy person in this room except for those that have been covered by the blood of Jesus who makes us holy and righteous. You see, in our own power, in our own strength, we can never accomplish God's standard, but Jesus died in our place so that we, being covered by his work, 
can be adopted, grafted in, welcomed into the family of God. And when we're welcomed into God's family through the blood of Jesus Christ, we can with confidence be holy before God because we are standing in the holiness of Christ. You see, audacious prayers, they, they require complete and total lordship to Christ. It means that we keep nothing from God so that we are holy before God. We've been made righteous, made right before God. And, and if we're right before God and we make our request to him, he responds. When it comes to understanding our sin that keeps us from being holy, we need to understand theologians kind of classify our sins in two different ways. Sins of commission and sins of omission, right? Like a sin of commission is when we do something we know is out of bounds of Scripture. A sin of omission is when we do not do something that Scripture calls us to do, right? Like, like these kind of sins are, are, are ones that many times we think, all right, if I can just stay away from the bad things, then I'm gonna be okay before God. But understand, it's more than just staying away from what we know is not right. It's walking in what we know is right or it's considered sin. And King David at one point in his life prayed, search me, O God, know my heart and see if there's any hidden way in me. You think, well, how could there be a hidden way in David? Well, what we're gonna see in our passage today is David commits the sin of commission. He does something that he knows is wrong, but sin has blinded him to how really wrong it is. So sin puts blinders on our spiritual eyes so we can't see. There are other times of sin of omission that we can just be going about our day and like, like, like I didn't even realize what the Lord had did. We, we just miss the Lord. And we need to confess that and repent of that. happened to me just the other day. There's somebody that I uh, have on my Inspire card, which I hope you're working through your Inspire card, sharing the gospel and, and inviting people to church and seeing people with you. On my Inspire card, there's three names. Like there should be on your Inspire card. Now I'm praying that everyone in our church has an active Inspire card. We're trying to inspire people to follow Jesus. And so God gave me an opportunity to have a longer than normal conversation with a person on my Inspire card. You know what we did? We talked football. And it was fun. But I get back to my office and I'm starting to study. It's like the Holy Spirit just sat down. I'm like, like, I gave you an extra 30 minutes with somebody on your Inspire card and you talked football? And I was like, oh. It just kind of was that moment. It's like, it wasn't that my day became free by happenstance. It's that the Lord had ordained my day for that moment, and I missed it. You know what I did? That was a sin of omission. So I said, Lord, I'm so sorry. Like, I, I, I repent of not recognizing that you're in control of my day and that you gave me an opportunity, and I blew it. Sin of omission. So no matter where we are, that is what disqualifies us from the presence of God. And so whether it's sins of commission that lead to spiritual blindness or it sins of omission that you're like man I just missed it I didn't understand we need to understand what to do with this sin and how to be considered holy before the Lord so Psalm 51 shows us how stand with me and let's study it together Psalm 51 verse 1 the scripture says have mercy on me O God According to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only, have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, 
so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being, and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. Purge me with hyssop, and I will be clean. Wash me, and I'll be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. May God bless the reading of his word. You can be seated. This first half of Psalm 51 is David's response to being confronted of his sin with Bathsheba. Now, understand this moment with Bathsheba was one of David's worst moments. It was a moment where he had gotten comfortable, he had let down his guard, not because he gazed upon a woman, because he should have been out to war. You see, David was enjoying political victory. He was enjoying military victory. He was experiencing kind of all the spoils of everything. And so he sends his army out and he should have gone with them, but he stayed back at the palace. And as he stayed back at the palace, he was out in the evening and he saw a woman and she was going through the process of, of bathing. And if you really kind of want to get in the weeds, like, like Bathsheba was going through a process of being ceremonial cleansed. Like, like she was trying to make herself right with her God, and David took advantage of her in that moment. This is a horrific scene. This is a, a horrible scene. And so Bathsheba becomes pregnant, and David has a problem. And David's reaction is the very natural reaction that many of us have when we sin or when we are found out or when we are caught. He tried to cover it up. He tried to cover up his sin and the way he tried to cover up his sin is he called Bathsheba's husband in from the battlefield and he says, hey, go home. You've done such a good job. Enjoy your wife. But her husband being such an honorable man would not go home and be with his wife, but instead stayed and slept overnight at the palace gate on the steps David, understanding that the cover-up didn't work, he sends Uriah, Bathsheba's wife, back to the battlefield, holding in his hand his own death warrant that he delivered to his commanders without looking at it because he was a faithful soldier and understood command of authority and all of those things. And so Uriah is murdered on the battlefield. Like, this is horrific. I mean, what a terrible story and a terrible moment. And David just wanted to move on. But the Lord sent the prophet Nathan to confront David. Now, God used prophets in the Old Testament many times to do the work the Holy Spirit does in the New Testament. And so for you and I today, he would begin to convict us of the unrighteousness in our hearts. But because this is before Christ had come and there's no just indwelling power and indwelling understanding of the Holy Spirit, like he would use prophets to come and confront and say, hey, you're in error. And so the confrontation is found in 2 Samuel 12. I'm just going to read it to you. 
2 Samuel 12, the Lord sent Nathan to David. And he came to him and said, there were two men in a certain city, one rich and the other poor. The rich man had very many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing but one little ewe lamb, which he had brought. And he brought it up and it grew up with him and his children. It used to eat of his morsel and drink of his cup and lie in his arms. And it was like a daughter to him. Now there came a traveler to the rich man. He was unwilling to take one of his own flock or herd to prepare for the guest who had come to him. But he looked, he took the poor man's lamb and prepared it for the man who had come to him. And David's anger was kindled against this man and said to Nathan, as the Lord lives, the man who has done this deserves to die. And he shall restore the lamb fourfold because he did this thing and because he had no pity. And Nathan said to David, you are the man. Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, I anointed you king over Israel and I delivered you out of the hand of Saul. I gave you your master's house and your master's wives into your arms and gave you the house of Israel and of Judah. And if this were too little, I would add to you much more. Why have you despised the word of the Lord to do what is evil in his sight? You have struck down Uriah the Hittite with a sword and have taken his wife to be your wife and you have killed him with the sword of the Ammonites. Therefore, the sword shall never depart from your house because you have despised me and taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your wife. Thus says the Lord, behold, I will raise up evil against you out of your own house. And we know that to be Absalom. And I will take your wives before your eyes and give them to your neighbor and he shall lie with your wives in the sight of the sun for you did it secretly but I will do this before all of Israel before the sun. And David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said to David, the Lord, has, Lord also has put away your sin. You shall not die. Nevertheless, because of this deed that you have utterly scorned the Lord, the child who is born to you shall die. And Nathan went to his house. I mean, what a moment. That the Lord confronts David with a story and an example. And David's like, the person who did that should die. And Nathan said, it's you. But you will not die, but you will pay a great price. A great price. Understand now this spiritual blindness that David was living in. He, he, he could not sense and could not see what he had done, but when it was clearly understood, he quickly recognizes the severity of his sin. And the discipline of the Lord was for the purpose of helping David understand the severity of his sin. People ask me from time to time, like, like how could a Christian do this? And how could a Christian do that? And fill in the blank. How could a Christian do? It's the sin, man. It's it's the spiritual blindness that causes us to walk into sin. And when we walk in sin, God always corrects and convicts of sin. See, the, the judgment of God is towards sin. In this example, the judgment of God is towards David's sin. Like David, he's saying, you will live, but you will pay a high price. You see, we don't like to think about the judgment of God, but friends, understand, it's the judgment of God that helps us see our need for a Savior and walk in holiness. 
It's the, it's the conviction of God and it's God's wrath towards sin that outlines for us how self-sufficient we are not and how gracious God is. So man, if you're walking in sin today, if you've got spiritual blinders on, if, if you need to run to holiness, what must we do? First, in verses one and two, notice that we gotta acknowledge God's mercy. I mean, David's response to this moment with Nathan was to plead for mercy. Have mercy on me, verse one, O God, according to your steadfast love and your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Like this, this desire was not more blindness or more self-confidence, but it was a surrender and a pleading. It, it, was, it was David going like, God, I have totally messed this thing up. I need your love and your mercy. The steadfast love of the Lord is his faithful love that in, in spite of all circumstances, that he is the same and he is loving toward you. I understand today, God never looks at you and does not love you. Sometimes we feel like we're living outside of the love of God. That's the spiritual blindness that sin creates in our life. I've had people tell me before, well, God just doesn't love me anymore. Man, that's an expression of me, you telling me you're walking in sin because God loves you. And there's nothing you can do to put yourself outside of that love. And if you read the Psalms, like David from this point forward is convinced and convicted of the faithful love of God that endures. Like over and over and over in his personal reflections and writings throughout the Psalms, he's like, man, the love of God endures. The love of God got me through. The love of God. How could he know so much of the love of God? Because he was in the depths of despair under the weight of his sin. And he called on the steadfast love of God and it was sufficient for him. You see, the most loving people in the room are not the people who feel like loving, but the most loving people in this room today are those who understand how much God loves them and it requires of them to show that love to others. And he called on his steadfast love and abundant mercy. He's like, God, like, please withhold from me what I deserve. God's grace is what he gives to us when we don't deserve it. God's mercy is what he withholds when he withholds what we do deserve so that he can extend to us his grace. Like, see these work together. They're two sides of the same coin. Mercy is when we don't get what we've earned. Grace is what we, when we get what we did not earn. And so David is pleading with God for mercy. God, don't do to me what I deserve. Give to me according to your mercy mercy and grace. In the Bible, mercy is extended to an offender in the form of forgiveness or to the suffering in the form of comfort. And so mercy is experienced as forgiveness and comfort over and over and over. And what David is asking the Lord for, I believe, is both. He's asking him for forgiveness, but he's also asking him for comfort because he is so deeply grieved that he could have done such a thing. Like he, he accepts that this is his fault. He doesn't blame someone else. He, even in a moment in, in, in verse five, he's like, hey, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin, I, I did, did my mother conceive me? He's like, like, I know I'm a sinner by birth. Like he could have said, well, this is just human nature. Boys will be boys. 
Like he could have just made some flippant statement towards it, but that was not his attitude because in verse four, what does he say? Against you and you only have I sinned. He's taking full responsibility of this sin and he's asking God for a miracle, the miracle of his forgiveness and grace. See friends, when you get serious about your sin, you recognize how horrific it is in the eyes of God. Most times we continue in sin because we don't think our sin's a big deal. Let me remind you, man, it was your sin that nailed Jesus to the cross. It's your sin that separates you from God. And God's word has said the wages or the payment for your sin is death. It's a big deal. But God, being rich in mercy, Romans 5, while we were still sinners, sent Jesus to die in our place. So we acknowledge God's mercy and run from our sin because of his steadfast love. Second, notice in the passage, like if I really want to walk in holiness now, I've got to acknowledge God's mercy. And then secondly, I've got to acknowledge, um, I gotta acknowledge my sin. I've got to acknowledge my sin. So, so David was like, God, I need your mercy and And man, I've messed up. Look at verse three. Wash me, verse two. Cleanse me, verse three. I I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Like you gotta acknowledge your sin. It's, It's not a sweeping under the rug, but it's a, man, I have really messed this up. Like David's saying, I know my sin well. It's this sense of like David could not get over it now that he has been made aware of his sin. He cannot believe it. Have you ever had one of those moments before you're just like, I can't believe that happened. Like, I, I, I never saw it coming. I can't believe it. Whether it was a gift that you received that you're like, I can't believe someone would give this. Or it was a sin that you committed that you didn't realize how bad it would be. Or maybe it's a knock on the door that's like, how did this happen? And so what David is doing in verses 3, verses 4 and 5, like what David is doing is he's showing us how to handle our sin. Like he's saying, I I recognize it. I know it. It's before me. You, O God, verse 4, are the one who I've sinned against. Verse 5, this is who I am. But verse 6, now I'm going to delight in truth so that you may teach me. Like, like he is showing us the way right here of handling our sin. It's acknowledging that we've sinned and it's recognizing that our sin is against God. Like a true acknowledgement of sin is not just saying you're sorry. A true acknowledgement of sin is leaving the pattern in the place of your sin. You see, some of us, we, we think we can just say we're sorry for our sin when we go right back to that sin again, but that's not what God has said in his word. Like we turn from our sin and walk a new way because our sin is not against a person, although it may be secondarily against a person. Our sin is not just how we were made, although secondarily it's like how we were made as sinners, but, but our sin is against a holy God. So when I repent, I'm not just leaving my sin to walk away, but I'm turning my attention onto the holiness of God. You see, sin at one time attracted my gaze, but when I repent, now God's glory gets my gaze. So many times we we still want to walk with the Lord, but it's like we walk like this, looking back at our sin. We think, man, that was was a fun season in my life. 
No, it wasn't a fun season in your life. You were feeding your flesh. You were dying daily, but now you can be renewed and have life. Like, why is it that we glorify sin so much and think, well, I'm a Christian. I just can't do those things. Why would we want to die when Christ has given us life? It's a complete reorienting of our mindset away from a slave to sin and now to a slave to righteousness. What I love about David's response is he, he doesn't make excuses. He's come to his senses. He feels responsible and ashamed. Like all of those are proper. But he doesn't relate to God like he is a distant deity. He relates to God as a loving son relates to a loving father. And when it comes to our sin, all of a sudden we want to make God out to be this angry man who's just waiting to zap us. But like, look at the passage. Like, like David is coming to his father as a son. I get emotional when I think about this because... There was a season in Bridget and I's marriage where we weren't certain we'd ever have children, and I'd always want to be a dad. And I remember the, the moment. I remember exactly where I was when Bridget called and the adoption agency had called and said that we had been chosen to adopt. And I was so excited. Like, it was unbelievable. And I remember what it was like when she was like, hey, it's a little boy. Like all the dreams, all of what I'd hoped for, like it was this incredible moment of getting to be dad. And like seven years later, it happened again, and it was a little girl, and everything changed. But it was this moment for me where I first time understood what it was like to be dad. Like every one of you who have children, you have a moment like that. Your story may not be like my story with the phone call, like, hey, come pick him up. You know, like your story may be like, like the labor, the journey. Like you may have that story of cutting the cord or putting, him, the, putting the child in your hands for the first, like all of those things. You begin to understand this, this fatherly love of God better. You begin to understand like, 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 David was not afraid to come to God. David was ashamed of his sin and knew to come to God to deal with his shame. He knew he could come to his father with his mess. He knew he could come to God, and, and it wasn't that he was going to withhold the punishment, but that he would endure. See, we hide our sin when we feel like God is going to zap us and, and we will not endure. But we can come to God and acknowledge our sin when we understand 1 John 1, 9, he is faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. God is not mad at your sin. He's mad at the devil who has led you into sin, but he has already defeated and crushed the head of that serpent and he wants you to come to him so that he can make you right with him again. Like, he's not mad at you, man. He's not mad at you. He loves you. 
And he's waiting for you to acknowledge your sin. And so David is like, like, hey, like, like all of this is a mess. Verse six, but I choose to delight in truth in the inward being and you, and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. Man, there's so much in verse six that we don't have time for today, but what he's trying to help us see and what David is verbalizing so that we can understand is that acknowledging our sin is delighting in truth. It's delighting in truth. Because when we begin to acknowledge our sin, the enemy in his last gasp wants to make our identity our sin. And so David's saying, I'm not walking as an adulterer. I'm walking as a son of God. He's delighting in truth. I'm not walking as a murderer. I'm walking as a son of God. He's delighting in truth. So for many of us today, when it comes to us trying to become holy, like we know to acknowledge our sin, but we hold up short of delighting in truth. If you want to walk in freedom and liberty and victory today, it does not come with just recognizing that you have sinned. It comes when you begin to delight in the truth, that he who began a good work in you, Philippians 1, is going to be faithful to complete it. That what God began, God will finish. That there is hope for you, that there is a purpose for you, that there is a plan for you, that there is a direction for you, and there is a future for you, not in your sin, but in Christ as you delight in his truth. And so what David is choosing to do as he acknowledges his sin, as he's choosing to surrender to Christ's lordship that he might teach him the wisdom of delighting in truth. There is wisdom, man, for you. James says if we lack wisdom, we should ask the Lord for it and he'll give generously. So I gain wisdom as I delight in truth. Delighting in truth leads me to the path of righteousness, the way of God and the wisdom of God. And so what we must do if we want to walk in holiness is delight in truth as we take responsibility for our sin. Finally today, I have 50 seconds. I'm not going to make it. That's okay. Third, verses 7 through 12, you've got to acknowledge God's restoration. Acknowledge God's restoration. All right, so I'm going to acknowledge his mercy. I'm going to acknowledge my sin. And now I'm going to acknowledge God's restoration. Ah, this is the best part. Look, David had total confidence in God's ability to restore him. So he says, purge me with hyssop and I'll be clean. It, it's not, I want to be clean or I hope to be clean. It's, I shall be clean. Like he, he knows what needs to happen because he's experienced God's faithfulness in the past. He's, he's leaning into all that God has said about dealing with sin in the, in the Mosaic law. Like David would have known the law. He's leaning into all that he's ever heard or been taught of from the Lord. And he's asking to be taken through that process. He's asking God in verse 7 for this restoration process. Hyssop was an herb that the Jews would, would dip in blood for the use in ritual cleansing. And so what David is saying is like, like purge me with hyssop. He was recognizing that there needed to be the shedding of blood, that sin, had, that sin was forgiven by the shedding of blood. God had said that. He had understood that 
from the history of Israel, as the Levitical law said, this is how you deal with your sin, that you bear the weight down on the animal that symbolized the weight of sin crushing the animal. You slaughter the perfect animal and you sprinkle his blood on the mercy seat of Christ. And this is a picture and representation of what Christ did for us on Calvary's cross. So what David is saying here is like, hey, hey, purge me with hyssop. Like, like there needs to be the shedding of blood. We have to go through the process of receiving forgiveness. I submit to that process, which for you and I today, we will be saying that I repent and submit to Christ. Like that, this is the, the, where David was like, like, I need to go through the process to receive forgiveness. You and I look to Christ and say, he has provided for me the way. Like he is the sacrificial lamb. He is the, the one that God provided, the ram in the thicket. He is. And he's saying, I want to walk with him. God's restoration for us today begins with Jesus Christ and repenting of our sin and putting our faith in him. And so he's continuing to relate to God through this idea of his son, not the idea of his sin. And he says, wash me and I'll be whiter than snow. Like Isaiah the prophet would help us get our arms around this even better as he is saying like our sins are as far away as the east is from the west. He talks about the purity and the holiness of God, how he washes us and cleanses us and purifies us and makes us white as snow all through scripture. The idea of holiness and purity is symbolized in, in white, this bright light, bright white of Christ. And so we, we see saying like, like, I want to be, I don't want to be marred by sin. I don't want to be muddy. I want to be clean. Verse eight let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins. Verse 9, blot out my iniquities. Like he, he's, he's discovering joy again as he's being cleansed of his sin. We live in a day where everybody's miserable. And we're searching for things that make us feel better. I just want to submit to you today. The joy that we're lacking is Jesus. And the misery that we're enduring is sin. And if we'll walk in holiness, not walk according to culture, but walk in holiness, he will give us joy. Why is it that that we look to everything else to make us feel this sense of joy when we can have convictional, standing, eternal joy when we're restored from our sin and begin to see God as our Father. Adrian Rogers, he, he wrote this, he says, joy does not remove the pain, but helps us endure the pain. Like David wasn't trying to get out of the consequences of his sin. Verse nine, hide your face from my sins, blot out my iniquities. Like he's still dealing with his sin, but he has joy in the midst of the struggle. He has joy in the midst of the sorrow. As he understands what he's done, he still has this joy because it's allowing him to endure. Like don't think just, just because you ask God to forgive you and walk in holiness that life has become less complicated. There's still the consequences of your sin, but what David was finding is a joy that endured. And so he could pray, verse 10, create in me a clean heart. 
He could pray, verse 11, cast me not away from your presence. Take not your Holy Spirit from me. And restore, verse 12, to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. Like David asked for nothing less than a pure heart. And he understands God is the only one that can give that to him. He's longing for the fellowship of God again. He prays for a new spirit within him so he can gladly obey. David is praying to be transformed by the power of God. Psalm 32 is a very similar passage to this as as David is writing kind of some relief as God has restored to him the joy of his salvation. Listen to what David said in Psalm 32, verse three. He said, when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all the day long. For day and night, your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. I acknowledged my sin to you. I did not cover my iniquity. And I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. And you forgave the iniquity of my sin. So Psalm 32, as David's looking back on this moment, he's going, it almost crushed me. But your forgiveness gave me life. That's what restoration is, friends. When we begin to see the life that God gives as he crushes our sin. So let me beg you today. Stop holding on to your sin. Let me beg you today, recognize that your sin is leading you to death, spiritual death. Don't tolerate what might be called respectable sins. The idea of like boys will be boys or this is just the way it is or girls night, like whatever it is that we just kind of label as this label of like, okay, I'm going to sin and it's going to be okay. Acknowledge his mercy. Acknowledge your sin but also acknowledge God's restoration. Because when you are restored by God, you get what you were longing for when you fell into sin. Sin, man. It is the ultimate mirage. It promises you what only God can give you. So I told you at the beginning, And I asked you at the beginning, let's make a commitment to hear from the Lord and respond to the Lord today. So what are you going to do with your sin? What are you going to do with your sin then? You're going to carry it with you when you leave this place and try and make it on your own? You're going to buy that lie that says fake it till you make it? Are you going to come to the Lord as your good father who loves you dearly and get real about your sin so that you can receive his joy. Lord, help us today. Help us be honest with our sin. Acknowledge your mercy and allow you to restore. You know, when you really think about it, Through Jesus Christ, God has promised everything your soul needs and even desires. He's promised to make you whole. We said it last week in Ephesians 3, like the fullness of God, all of him, in you. 
but it's only going to happen when we walk in holiness. You want audacious prayers? You want to pray a prayer that moves the hand and the heart of God? It's not going to happen if you tolerate sin in your life. You say, man, it doesn't seem like God ever answers my prayers. Could it be that your sin is keeping you from presenting your request to God? He is mercy. And he gives life. Don't run from him today, man. Run to him. Look, if there's never been a time in your life that you have taken responsibility for your sin and experienced the joy that Jesus can give, if you've never been restored and reconciled to God through Christ, I'm not asking you if you grew up in church. I'm not really even asking you if you walked an hour, prayed a prayer. I'm asking you, has Jesus changed your life? And if he hasn't, I'm asking you today to acknowledge your sin, acknowledge his mercy, and allow him to transform you. We'll be singing, and some of our pastors will be across the front. They'll be upstairs with the exit signs on the side. And they're there because they want to meet you and help you understand what Christ has done for you through Jesus Christ. Man, don't delay. Like, as soon as we start singing, you start coming. Don't let the enemy think, oh, you'll figure it out later, or you'll get it fixed on your own, or, yeah, you know, it's not as bad as he says it is. The wages of sin is death. But the rest of that verse says the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus. Receive his gift. Walk in his joy. Know his life. Maybe for the rest of us today, it's time to come back and get on our knees. And confess our sin to the Lord. You know, responding to the Holy Spirit at an invitation is an acknowledgement that you know where to go find help. So I, I don't want to respond because then people will know something's wrong with me. We all know something's wrong with you, man. And you know there's something wrong with all of us. So it's not a matter of is something right with you or wrong with you. It's a matter of am I humble enough to know where to find help? Will I humble myself before the Lord and run to him and confess my sin that he may forgive me? Thanks for joining us this week on the Concord Online Podcast. If you have any questions surrounding today's sermon, or simply want to learn more, you can do so at concordonline.org. Make sure to subscribe to this podcast to stay up to date with each weekly release.